Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 137 of the Clarinet Podcast with Angela Miles Beeching. She's the author of Beyond Talent, Creating a Successful Career in Music. Many guests have suggested that I actually read this book in the past, and so I was just so thrilled when one day out of the blue, she actually contacted me to be on the show. And uh, this, this sort of blew my mind, but at the same time, it gave me a really great excuse to finally read the book and also a wonderful opportunity to speak with her on the program here today. So today's episode is part one of a two-part series and we discuss imposter syndrome, how to determine if opportunities are what she calls stars, dogs, cash cows, or problem children, how prodigies might face more challenges than we realize, how to organize your career into manageable projects, how to watch for opportunities, and much, much more, believe it or not. There's a lot packed into this episode. You don't want to miss it. In part two, we also discuss the ins and outs of self-promotion and writing a great resume and more. So if you enjoy today's conversation, be sure to tap subscribe on your podcast player, wherever you get your podcast for more free content right to your device. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you to our 62 Patreon backers for helping make the show possible. If you're also interested in ad-free extended episodes and better audio quality, you can do this for as little as $1 per month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Also, of course, a huge thank you to our season sponsors. Imagine a reed that offers complex performance and sound, but is washable, recyclable, consistent, doesn't require moisting, and lasts for months instead of days. It's all possible with Legere Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. Legere Reeds are also used exclusively by some of the world's greatest clarinetists, including Eddie Daniels, Carano Giuffredi, David Schifrin, and many others. And now, it's your turn. Experience Legere Reeds at your local music store, or by heading to legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new online store that lets you pay in Canadian dollars. And for everyone listening, I have an exclusive coupon just for you. You can save 10% off your next Bakun purchase with code CLARENEAT at checkout at bakunmusical.com. That's code CLARENEAT at bakunmusical.com. And lastly, but not leastly, we've got Encoda. It's a new app that lets you stream, practice, and perform tens of thousands of music scores, kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but it's for sheet music. You can get a free trial today. Just search for Encoda on your device's app store. That's N-K-O-D-A, Encoda. So directly from Boston in the United States, I'm here today with Angela Beeching. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Sean. It's so nice to be here. It's funny because when I first picked up this book and started reading, the first thing I thought was, man, where was this book when I was in college? And I'm, I'm kind of sad to say that it actually existed because it came out in 2005, but I was just in university at that point and for some reason hadn't come across it. So I definitely wish that I found this book 15 years ago, but I know this is your third edition coming out now. And I know that this is topics that all are kind of changing throughout the years. So I first wanted to ask, what is new in the third edition? And in what ways do you feel like the advice in here has changed over the past 15 years? When I first wrote the book, well, I never imagined I was going to write a book in the first place. And I never imagined I would, you know, do a second edition and now a third edition. And you might think that, okay, it's a book that's already out there. So maybe we have to just update it and add in this you know, new things about technology. But I found myself really wanting to rethink how I was presenting material and what sort of through line I was giving people. So I think the biggest difference in this new edition is that there is a really a special focus 
on mindset issues, because I find it's one thing to give people a lot of how-to information, how to create promotional materials, how to network, how to you know work on websites, how to conceive about their image that they want to put out, and how to get more work, how to book more work. But nine times out of 10, the thing that's really holding people back is not that they don't have the information, but we can all find it online or somewhere. But it's the fear and the self-doubt and the confusion and the overwhelm that stops us from actually putting any of that stuff into action. So I, I really, in this edition, kind of lean into some of the mindset tools that I use with clients and that I teach in courses. Um, and I wanted to try to present it in a way that's user friendly. So I've heard this referred to before as the imposter syndrome. This idea that you know people are nervous to do stuff and, and they don't want to feel like like fakeries, I guess. Do you think this is new kind of in our generation because there's so much possibility? Like, or is it something that's always kind of been there? I mean, if you know you can do anything and you choose to do nothing, are you a failure? <laughs> you know, like it's kind of a it's kind of a tough situation to be in. I think that um, fear and self doubt, of course, has always been there. This is a human condition that anytime we're faced with even just the possibility of stepping outside our comfort zone and we get nervous about it, which is normal, um, it's an indicator that it's something that's going to stretch us, that there's a risk involved and the risk is to our egos, right? And the more challenge, the more fear that we face is actually more an indication of it's something we really need to do in order to grow as humans. But in terms of why is there such a need for it now, yeah, I think you're right. I, th I think that the fact that there's so much information out there about being an entrepreneur, about DIY stuff, that on the one hand, it seems like, oh my God, an embarrassment of riches. There's just everything possible. And that by itself can create an excuse not to move forward because there's too many things to choose among. Well, and I even find this with myself. I mean, one of the things when I got started with the podcast is I was trying to have a podcast and a blog and a place to get online lessons and an online store and video content. And I found after a couple of years of trying this and being moderately successful at all of them that it was time to focus. And that's when the podcast really took off. Interestingly enough, now I am thinking of going back into video content just because I think that's a new direction for, for online. But um, you're right, by kind of honing into something when you're presented with so many things, I guess it's like going to a restaurant. There's an infinite possibility of things on the menu, but you got to choose something. You got to have dinner, <laughs> like you know. Yeah, and then we can often have regret afterwards. We're looking at our partner at the table and think, "Ah, oh, I should have ordered what he's having." <laughs> when you decided to hone in more on the podcast, did that feel to you like you were having to let go of other things? Was that a tough decision, or did it come pretty easy? It was stressful at first because I had these avenues that I, I thought had potential. And of course, they did have potential. The biggest, scariest one to, to sort of delete <laughs> was the online store because it was at the point where the reason I had to get rid of it is because it was too successful, but the profit margins were too thin. So I was serving dozens of orders a month. But by the time you deal with customer service and returns and, you know, we're talking three to seven percent profit, which I don't think people realize it was too much. And it was taking away from being able to produce the podcast, which was, of course, the purpose of being able to support the show by shopping online. <laughs> At some point, I'd had a big inventory of products. Um, 
and I just had to end up blowing it all out and, and stopping that. I had to look at things like that and, and really analyze my time expenditure and, uh, and figure that out. I mean, the thing that made me do that, though, was having a kid. It was like, okay, we've got to uh-huh. <laughs> streamline our time here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true that, that for many people, we come to these like come to Jesus moments when we have to take stock. Okay, what am I really doing here? You know, how much effort is going into this? How much time and money? There's this wonderful um, four-part matrix grid that I included in the third edition, and it comes from the Boston Consulting Group. And it's a way of plotting on paper the different kind of projects and different kind of freelance areas that you're doing, and you have to put them in one of the quadrants. And it's either a dog, like it's taken a lot of effort and it's not producing much, or it's a star. This is what they call them. A star is something that you're getting a high reward. The way I do this four-part quadrant is not just thinking about the monetary, the financial gain, but the creative gain for you. Like what is fulfilling? So a star could be some um, performance or teaching gig that you're doing that is really rewarding to you, either financially, artistically, or both, preferably. And then, so there's dogs, there's stars, there's cash cows, which, you know, steady income, and that's a good base um, for lots of people's freelance work. And then the other, the last quadrant is, is sometimes called the problem child. It's something that we've been investing time and or money in, and it's unclear. Is it going to become a star? Is it going to become a cash cow? Is it going to become a dog? Just plotting things out on a quadrant like that, looking at it on the page can really help freelance musicians think through, okay, what are my choices here? You know, I love that. That's that's basically decision making. I talked about that. Ooh, I think it was two episodes ago, as of this recording with Jason Heath, we were talking about our different methods of kind of making decisions. And and my listeners will have heard this a lot, but I actually use a triangle system, which I'll go over real quick, but it's kind of three corners of a triangle. And corner one is, is it fun? Corner two is, does it pay enough, like appropriately? And corner three is, will advance my career? So you always want to try and aim for three corner things, but if you must, you can do two corner things and try and avoid the one corner things. But what I think I would value from your kind of system, too, is to use my corners, but then plot it on a graph. Because you, you will find sometimes that just because it's fun and advances your career, it might be sucking up more time than it's worth. <laughs> you know, it's never going to turn into that star. Yeah, I've always heard about that, like the three, the limits test, you know three issues for whether you should take a gig or not, you know, is, is the hang good? Is the money good? Right. Is the music good? Do you have a way that people can try to identify what things are going to turn into stars and what things are going to turn into dogs? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. And you know what, what immediately comes up mine with this, Sean, is I was thinking, you know, I taught for many years at New England Conservatory and I did a little uh, work at Indiana University and Manhattan School of Music and this thing would always happen. Like, and I remember from being in music school myself, you'd be surrounded by people and because of the pecking order, you know, like who seems to be like a star when they're in school, we're all assuming that that person is gonna have some big, you know, amazing career. And of course, that isn't how life works out, right? You know, it's, it's often the people that you thought, ah, 
they didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of, you know, having anything go on. And then 10 years later, it's like, whoa, that, that can happen for people's whole careers, but can also happen for projects, right? There's the thing that you think is the surefire bet, you know, not a problem. And life doesn't work that way. There's, there's nothing that's a given. But if we're waiting for a guarantee or sort of a sign from the gods, that's an excuse for not moving forward. So I really love Seth Godin's approach of looking for the smallest viable audience and, you know, making the test drive versions. I love that. You know, you're so right about the people who look like they're going to succeed and then the surprise people kind of coming up the middle. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was in university, there was, I won't say who, obviously, but someone who was like a flute prodigy and everyone was like, oh my God, she's so amazing. But you know what? By fourth year, she was still as amazing as she was in first year, which wasn't that amazing after everyone else had been practicing for four years. Seriously, you know, so people were starting to kind of catch up and even exceed what she was doing. And after she got really frustrated for period of several years after graduating because she just couldn't cut it. And the solution, I think, was to go back and, for her case, do a master's and and learn how to do the work which had come to her so naturally, almost unfortunately, because she, she also thought she would just make it because of the prodigious skill that she had as a child, you know. Um, but learning how to work and do the work and get better is a really important part of actually being a musician. Yeah. And I also think learning how to handle rejection and disappointments and all of that stuff, because it's it's real. I think prodigies especially have a tough time. So their their come to Jesus moments are often earlier in life and they're less equipped to deal with them. Totally. So you just touched on about three other things I want to bring up later. So we will come back to to some of that stuff. But the biggest one was projects. I love how you've made it so that careers are kind of an assemblance of projects over a span of time. And I think what you kind of mean by that, if I may, is that like, you know, this year you're going to plan an album and next year you're going to do a tour and maybe you're going to work on becoming a professor or you set these kind of goalposts for yourself and work to achieve them. Um, so first of all, maybe if you could just introduce the audience to the concept of projects, if I got some questions about them. <laughs> I don't think I originated this idea at all, but music careers really are project-based. And I used to, when doing workshops, draw this, and maybe we can just imagine it right now, but I would draw these diagrams of how careers actually unfold. And it's easy when we're in school or when we're fantasizing to just imagine that we start at point A and we wanna to get to point B, you know, stardom, and that it's a straight line between those two points and that there are markers, you know, they're like these benchmarking points along the way. You, you go to a good school, you study with a great teacher, you take lots of auditions, you know, and then bingo, you get these lucky breaks and you work hard and eventually, you know, you reach, you reach your goal. And the deal is that life is never that easy and never that smooth. And it's so frustrating when you hear interviews with fancy, you know, celebrity artists and they describe their careers and they talk about it in those terms. Well, then this lucky break happened and then that lucky break happened. And, and I used to get so angry because I thought, huh, I don't experience life like that at all. Like, what's my problem? <laughs> so it just seems so unfair. But the way I always explain this is it's not that those people are lying, but they're giving you the Reader's Digest version, the cleaned up version of what's 
often a, a much messier process. The truth is that we can, in a way, engineer our luck by saying yes to projects, by saying yes to initiatives, by daring and testing, because those small projects will lead inevitably to other projects, to other contacts, to other possibilities. And so if we diagram the real mess of anybody's career, you would typically see a number of simultaneous projects that might be going on, whether it's you know some part-time teaching that someone's doing, some freelance ensembles, maybe starting their own side business, you know, a number of things going on. And some or one or several of these will start to take off. Just like what you said earlier with the podcast, right? And then, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to put more energy behind this. And then that, in a way, becomes like the driver for a bunch of other possibilities. Well, you know, this is why when people are in school, they always have all these projects to do. And I think people really hate doing projects because there's deadlines and it's stressful and whatever. When you graduate, if you don't continue to do projects you won't get anywhere. Like that's why you have a degree after four years of projects and recitals (laughs) is because that's how life works. And I don't think people kind of paste that onto real life well enough. And, And when I did, it was hard. When I did my first album project or only at this point, it's a lot of steps. It's a lot of work. It's, and there's this like deadline. And it was just like being in university again. But, you know, the, the thing was, is I ended up winning the grant and recording the CD and doing all this stuff. And when it was done, it felt just as good as back then having completed something. So I thought to myself, like, look, I got a few things more like this. And for me, the, the podcast has been obviously a project, but it's a project that's kind of like every week or two, I've got to record these interviews and, and do these things and get it out there. And, and it's been kind of interesting that way. So But about projects overall, I've got two questions. So the first one is, how can people identify which projects to do? And maybe we'll just leave it there. I'll ask my second question in a minute. Yeah, I think for some people, making these kinds of decisions feels like death because they feel like they're having to say no to all these other possibilities. And then they start already having regret before they've even done anything. And so... One thing I always like to emphasize is when you say yes to a particular project, you're not saying not ever to the, all the others. You're just saying not now. And so for some people, they might say, okay, for the next three months, I want to prioritize my project time you know, for this particular initiative. And the reason behind that might be you want to take advantage of some wonderful opportunity that's happening right now, right? That will help you with that project. Either there's a collaborator who's free, there's the possibility of some extra grant money to help make this happen right now. And you're thinking, whoa, it's like the signs are pointing towards this. And sometimes the signs that point towards something is just our gut feeling or say, I I feel like I've got the most energy right now for this project. I'm going to make a commitment and really focus on it. Because otherwise we get sort of mired in opportunity cost. The idea that I'm losing out on all of these other possibilities if I invest this time and this effort in this one. But what I loved about your uh, example with that album, Sean, is that what you learned, I'm, I'm assuming, in the process from going through 
through the grant making thing from from going through all of those trials and the the challenge around that creates you know not only wonderful experience but confidence that you can't fake that's really the win of the project i'm ready to take on more the reason that that had started too is because i've been out with some friends after and you always have to watch for opportunities like you just said i mean we were teaching a music clinic and we had like a weekly music clinic and the for some reason, the kids just never showed up. Like we'd go and the kids wouldn't come. So one week they didn't come. And the three of us who were there to teach, we decided to go out and have a beer. And the guy was talking about all this touring and traveling and recording he was doing. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. And like, but he was saying to me, like, you know, look, you got to start thinking. I've been graduated for only a couple of years at this point. But he said, like, you got to start thinking about your legacy, like not just the day to day grind of being a musician. Like, what do you want to leave behind? That's how the whole project got started for me. And I think that's super wise. And, and your book kind of makes that clear, too, because these projects, these things that push you out of your comfort zone are the very things you need to be doing. I want to say something about legacy because it's just something that I've noticed it's a term that guys use way more than women. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I don't know what that really is about, but I have a theory that for females, or I can at least say for me and for people that I know, the idea of legacy is translated more in terms of the life that you want to be living and the impact that you want to make, the kind of ripple effect which is a kind of legacy, but it's more like legacy in motion. Oh, and there was this wonderful thing that Philip Glass had lately. Oh, it might have been Austin Kleon that wrote about, you know, it was a blog post on legacy and lineage. For Philip Glass, he was saying he thinks less about legacy and more in terms of connecting his work to what came before and what's coming after him. That he's sort of thinking of it as a long cultural timeline that we're part of. And I, I thought that's a beautiful way of thinking of it too. But yeah, whatever it takes, whatever words we use to realize we've got limited time and we want to be investing in it in a way that actually makes a difference, right? I mean, otherwise, like, you know, who am I pretending to be, right? Let's get to the real stuff. I hope when people think of it that way, that they're more willing to get outside their comfort zone. So in the third edition of my book, I lean in on the idea of the hero's journey as a kind of symbol and a metaphor that you can use in terms of thinking about where you are within your career, but also within a particular project. So just as a quick recap, I'm, I'm sure most people are familiar with Hero's Journey, you know, all of the, our favorite films and plays and novels follow this format, this basic narrative design. So a hero or heroine starts out home base and usually either feeling like they need to make some sort of change or feeling some kind of urge to move forward. And they're confronted with a quest and sometimes that's something that they find themselves or something a mentor dares them to or a colleague, and it's way outside their comfort zone. So usually we refuse the quest, <laughs> but eventually we take it on, like you starting the podcast and various entrepreneurial ventures. And what happens is 
it's quickly clear to us that it's going to be way harder than we imagine, and it's going to change us in a bunch of ways. So we hit dragons and obstacles and uh, all kinds of scary monsters and gremlins that we have to deal with. A lot of these are internal, right? All of that negative self-talk. It's usually drawn as a circle. So we're starting sort of at 12 o'clock. And at six o'clock, at the very bottom of the circle is the come to Jesus moment. It's the point of no return. It's in the James Bond movie where it really looks like he's gonna get killed this time for sure. It's getting through those really tough times that shapes us to be the heroes that we can be, right? It's getting through that. Now, the whole idea of the hero's journey is that you set off on this quest and the real win of the thing, like maybe ostensibly you're wanting to create a book or a podcast or a concert tour or whatever, but doing it brings you way more than that, brings these other layers of knowledge, of experience, of self-understanding. And it's basically the journey home to be able to share that with other people. So that brings you back up to 12 o'clock. So you return home, but you return home changed. I love that. You know, I just want to add the subtext that, you know, and oftentimes in the podcast, I feel like I need to say this, but just for those who might be tuning in, my hero's journey or life journey or whatever happens to be more kind of performance based because I went to do performance. and I know that's what I want to do, but just because I didn't find the same kind of legacy coming from the teaching side of things doesn't mean it's not also a perfectly good legacy. I mean, like my high school band teacher, for example, who recently died, sadly, but he left probably one of the greatest legacies locally you could think of. And for him, that was his journey. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't really want to be a full-time performer, then don't. (laughs) You don't have to do that. Um, So I think it's partly about picking what's for you. And that's really the hardest thing, you know? The advantage of thinking in terms of projects is just to realize that anybody's career is made up of a series of small and large projects. And it's usually the experience of going through any of these projects that helps us steer more towards the kind of career that we're going to develop eventually. So, which for many musicians, of course, combines, you know, performance, teaching, entrepreneurial ventures. I mean, any kind of portfolio career is just made up of lots of different talents and skills in use. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things I love about the book, this actually gave me a great idea for how to interview in the future, by the way, so I'll be using this. (laughs) But you talked about this backwards planning. And it's such a great idea. And what I realized, the way you describe it is like, for example, a wedding. How do you plan a wedding? Well, to backwards plan, you start at the end and go through all the tiny steps that need to happen to get there in your head, right? But what I thought to myself is like, well, what if you don't know all the steps? Like, I don't know how to become a famous rock musician. And that's when I realized like, ah, that's when mentorship comes in. That's when you need to reach out to other people because you don't know the steps. But the way you need to ask people then is not just willy nilly. You need to have a goal in mind and work backwards from that goal to get the most efficient use of your time. So I think that's a great way to study music, to interview guests, to (laughs) to think about stuff you don't know how to do. So it's a really, really great piece of advice in there. So just a reminder, at this point in the episode, uh, we're talking about the book Beyond Talent by Angela Beeching, of course. And there are many, many tidbits like this that you're going to want to get 
out of that book. So do head to the show notes at clarity.com and pick up a copy of this before you do anything else. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple more questions here and then we're going to move on to part two. Success versus selling out. This kind of came to me as a thought and I've heard this many times. People don't want to sell out, but yet it feels like the only way to become truly successful is to some extent sell out something. And I was wondering your sort of take on like, is selling out a myth or does it mean different things to different people? Like, and maybe it means nothing. Maybe it's just an imaginary term that failure type people sling on the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's often a lot of projection. I mean, again, that's a human thing. Like we have our own concept of success and what's good in life. And we want to project this on other people because we want to feel like we fit in and that we've got, like, I don't know, the keys to the kingdom and we've got it all figured out. And thank God it's not the same thing for each one of us, right? You know, because the world needs the variety and we need people who are fascinated and obsessed with different things so that we can find the expertise that will help us. So I think selling out that term, of course, can mean a bunch of other things. Uh, I think the basic way I think about the term selling out is about compromising your ideals. It begs the question, do I really know what my mission is, what my purpose is, what is the impact that I want to make in the world? I I think too often people uh, make assumptions about this and they grow up with an idea of what they think being successful is and they don't bother to revise that concept. So they're kind of fighting against themselves at different points in their career when they realize, oh, I've got opportunities in these other areas. I actually like, you know, using these other skills. But on some level, I feel like I have sold out or compromised or let my talent down. And then people walk around with guilt. You know, it's not good for your sleep. It's not, (laughs) it's not good for your soul. So Yeah, you know, it's funny, but because I'm a music career coach and my clients are often working on self-promotion, a basic thing of working on their bio for their website or, you know, whatever. They're trying to sell a program. You know, they're sending out these little pitches. They need these versions. They need a statement about who they are. And people inevitably think, oh, this will just be quick. She's going to help me wordsmith it. It's just a matter of having some slick sentences and making myself sound more professional you know, which just code for like putting a wall between you and the reader. Like we're all just going to try to hide behind some fancy adjectives so no one can see who we really are as a person. And I find to, to really write a bio that's compelling and that says something that gives the reader a chance of connecting with you on a human level, that takes some work. And it takes take some soul searching. And I think often in that process, this is surprising that working on your promotional materials on this, on the business side of your career can actually bring you insights into your artistry. And I just find that so rewarding and wonderful to see someone actually get clarity about why they're doing the work that they're doing 
and then feel the confidence of being able to articulate that and lean into it. It's just a great thing. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today to share all of your amazing advice. Of course, there's much more of it in your book, which you can uh, pick up a copy at clarinet.com for the show notes for this episode or Amazon or wherever you happen to buy your books. Um, anything else before we move on to part two next week, which will be about self-promotion and writing a great resume and all that kind of stuff? No, I don't think so. Just, uh, yeah. Thanks, John. This is great. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the Clarinet Podcast. If you'd like to send me a guest suggestion, want to be a guest yourself, have some feedback, or you just want to say hi, you can contact me directly at feedback at clarinet.com. And of course, if you do want access to an ad-free extended version of episodes just like this one, you can do this at clarinet.com slash subscribe for as little as $1 per month. And I'm excited to say we have a new tier on the Patreon page. There's a $1 tier, $5, which you get a thank you card and some stickers and stuff for me, and also the $10 tier, which you get everything else plus a shout out now on the podcast so an extra special thank you to our top of the top supporters we've got glenn k david s andrew m william l miguel d debbie a patty s josh n and karen k thank you also of course to our sponsors for helping make the show possible we've got encoda it's kind of like spotify or netflix but for sheet music check it out at encoda.com that's n-k-o-d-a.com for a free trial leger reads and these are the greatest reads to have during the summer they do not get affected by the humidity or the dryness or whatever you're experiencing i know it's super hot where i am today and i can barely think actually i've recorded this outro like five times and it's just too hot for me but i'm canadian right so it gets above 70 degrees and my brain sort of melts but Leger reads are wonderful for that and I used to also play them outdoors in marching bands so they're great all season reads you can check them out they're made in Canada and you can learn more at www.leger.com that's l-e-g-e-r-e.com and last but not least of course Bakun Musical Services you can get access to a special coupon just for having listened to the podcast and I'm going to tell it to you right now you can save 10% on your next purchase with code Clarinet at checkout on any Thing at bakunmusical.com. And yes, that means anything from uh, mouthpieces all the way up to carbon clarinets, whatever in between that you'd like to purchase. You can do that with code clarinet and save 10% just for listening to the podcast. So thank you so much for that. Oh, and one last thing. They've got a new website in Canadian dollars you can check out if you're in Canada, which is super helpful right now. I know the dollar is in a super crazy place, so it's nice to be able to pay in our own currency. So thanks so much again for listening to the show. And like I was saying a minute ago, be sure to tune in next time if you enjoyed today's conversation. I had such a great time chatting with Angela Miles Beeching today, and she's back for more on the, the next episode. So see you next time for more of what's new and neat for clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the Clarinet Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>